Our second lesson today comes from the Gospel according to Luke. I'm reading from the 12th chapter. I'm beginning at the 13th verse, reading down through verse 21. Listen for God's word. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will restore all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures from themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. So have you ever seen the television show House? The setting is a hospital in Princeton, New Jersey. And the star of the show is an irreverent, pain-killing, addicted doctor who is chronically unhappy, negative about everything, difficult to get along with. His name is Dr. House. House barely copes with issues of daily hospital life. He drives his co-workers and his staff crazy with his negative attitudes. But House also happens to be a genius when it comes to diagnosing rare and mystifying diseases. He and his team, in each episode, conduct test after test and debate this and that about medical science. And no clues seem to emerge until until House has a moment of brilliance and epiphany in which he figures it all out, prescribes a treatment, and saves the day. Well, in one episode, a person was brought in who had collapsed on the street. None of his symptoms seemed to be holding any answers for what was wrong with this patient. And what was most baffling to Dr. House was that this person was chronically, extremely generous. He was a millionaire, perhaps even a billionaire, but he had decided that he could live on $25,000 a year and he was going to give everything else away. So he would stumble into a medical clinic and on his way out, write a $1 million check. Or he would hear of another need and he would send another million there. Well, Dr. House was of the opinion that such extreme generosity And this patient was too crazy, actually a medical problem, and therefore must have a medical solution, a diagnosis, to help correct the irrational behavior. As it turns out, House was right, as in all the episodes that have House. 
there was a nodule in the man's thyroid that was causing some kind of a signal to be sent to the brain that was triggering hyperactive generosity. <laughs> so after a procedure or two, the man was normal again. And by normal, I mean that his first inclination then was no longer to see how his riches might cure the sick or help the poor or make the world better. By normal, I mean his first thought was to take care of himself and do what he wanted, tend to his own hungers, comfort his own life, buy a few more toys and trinkets to add to his many possessions. What we're about here when we come into this space is being formed and transformed as God's people. What we're about here when we come to worship and we come into fellowship and sing and pray and link our lives together at Second Presbyterian Church, what we're about here is growing, not in selfishness, but in serving God. We are all called, we are all expected, we're all challenged to go beyond what many might think is foremost, tending to ourselves. What we're about here is trying to be transformed by God, changed to be the kind of people God calls all of us to be. Generous, loving, grateful, In fact, even extremely generous. So we have this story from the Gospel of Luke today. And this particular story is only in the Gospel of Luke. And this story reveals to us what happens when money and possessions take central place in our lives. We become selfish. This story reveals to us what happens when we get caught up in me and mine And selfishness, we turn away from God. We become rich maybe in goods, but poor in God. Did you know that Jesus has more to say about money than about prayer? As we seek to be shaped and formed, which is our ongoing calling as we gather here, as we seek to be transformed as God's people, we have to deal with the dangers and challenges of money and possessions. As we strive to be faithful and as we strive to be formed in real life and discipleship, we need to keep thinking about maybe what is normal and what is faithful and what is godly. This is our task. So the story begins with someone in the crowds who comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Now that kind of request sounds very familiar to me. He's not saying, teacher, my brother and I are quarreling. We need an unbiased judge to help us to listen to me and listen to him and then come up with something reconciling. He's not saying that. Did you notice? He speaks like I used to when I would get in a fuss with my brothers and I would run to my mother and say, he hit me, mom, punish him. That's how he's talking. Usually when we want a reconciling and unbiased judge to step in and help us, we're pretty sure we're already in the right. 
That is our nature. Yes, this haggling about what is fair and who is right when it comes to money and possessions has become all too familiar for many of us. It happens in our families when we find ourselves pushing and shoving like these brothers. Maybe it has to do with the family land or the family business or mother's furniture or some other issue within our particular families. When money and possessions are involved, family life gets complicated. It also happens in our politics and in our policies. The issues of this wearisome presidential campaign are coming down to the economy, right? And if we're not careful, that means it's about what we consider to be our money or Maybe more specifically, my money. And like the brother in the story, we want for someone to come and be a judge on my behalf or our behalf and make it more fair for me. When we're honest, probably means make it better for me. Who can judge whose greed is more right? Maybe Jesus can do it. That's what's going on in this story. Help us sort this out, Jesus, they're asking. Here's the problem. When we're looking for justice, when we're seeking a judge to set things right, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, the brother says, we're usually overestimating what is due us compared to what is due our neighbor. We get so caught up in the fuss that we overestimate our impartiality. We insist we're fighting for justice, but we have to be careful because what we're really fighting for is usually more for me or more for us, our greed, our selfish gain. So Jesus does what Jesus often does. He makes a statement. In this passage, he says, friend, who set me as judge and arbitrator over you? And actually in the text, Jesus really doesn't call him friend. That's a generous translation. He actually says, man. We know about this. Man. We know about this. It's kind of an expression of displeasure and distance when somebody may come close to us. Man, who set me over you to be the judge? And then Jesus offers an important warning. Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed for one's life doesn't exist in possessions. Ooh. Here he is digging a little bit. This is not just a warning. This is a powerful insight. Take care. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life isn't found in money and possessions. Yet money and possessions are bonded to a deep and almost irrational fear. The fear that one day I might not have enough. The fear that one day we might not have enough. There's a nice story that illustrates this point. Right after World War II, many hungry and homeless children were placed into large camps by the Allied armies. These children had been totally traumatized by the war. But in the Allied camps, they were fed, they were cared for, they were nurtured. However, at night, the children weren't sleeping well. 
Nobody could really figure it out. They seemed restless. They seemed afraid. And why is this? Finally, a psychologist hit on a solution. After the children were put to bed, each then received a slice of bread. Not to eat. If they were hungry, they could eat and they would give them more. But just hold on to this piece of bread for the night. That slice of bread held in their hands, produced marvelous results. The children would go to sleep without the fear that they wouldn't have anything to eat the next day. They knew they had that bread. We all struggle with this, all of us, and marketing and advertising play on this, this fear, this irrational kind of thinking. One advertising appeal is, what's your number? What is your number? That number, you know, that you need in order to feel comfortable, that that you won't be afraid, that you can retire. What is your number? What is it? And this is powerful, and it pulls on our hearts and pulls on our lives, and it drives our sense of greed, makes us address our fear and our worry, and moves against what we're called to be about, generous, extreme generosity as God's people. There's a website called Global Rich List. Global Rich List. You can type in your annual income and learn just how wealthy you are compared to the rest of the world. Instead of generating fear and worry, which is what confronts us so much, this site reminds us just how extremely wealthy we are. Here's a hint. If you make just $25,000 a year, then you are already in the 90th percentile compared to the rest of the world. In other words, you have more than 90% of the world. And if you make $50,000, you are bumped up to the 99th percentile. In the top 1% of wealthy in the world. Maybe this will help us with our irrational fears that drive us inward and crumble our call to be generous. Jesus says, be on guard against all kinds of greed because your life doesn't consist in your money and your possessions. And then Jesus does what Jesus often does. He tells a story. He offers a parable. Jesus says this, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. That means the man is rich and his land produced a bumper crop. He's already rich and then he has a bumper crop. He didn't change the way he farmed the land. It was a gift from God, a bumper crop. He didn't work any harder for the bounty. He was rich. He produced a crop. It was bountiful. What will he do with his surpluses? And it says... He thought to himself, what should I do? This is a very sad scene. See, in the Middle East, village people make decisions about important things after long conversations with their friends. Families, communities, villages are all tightly knit together. Community and Conversation are critical to life, but he dialogues with himself. Himself. 
As one commentator puts it, there is no other parable of Jesus that is full uh, as this one with the words, I, me, my, and mine. None of them. And this seems to be our continuing tendency as well. The more wealth we have, the further we draw away from our neighbors. The more wealth we accumulate, the bigger distance we find ourselves from our neighbors. The more wealth we have, the bigger the walls are that separate us. The more wealth we have, the more isolated we become. Isaiah the prophet spoke this, Woe to those who dwell alone in the midst of the land. Woe to those who isolate themselves when we have wealth and extreme wealth. We talk mostly among ourselves. When we have extreme wealth, we talk mostly to ourselves. Woe to us. Ambrose, in the fourth century, the Latin theologian, observes this. We cannot, the things that we cannot take away with us are not ours. Compassion alone follows us. Or as Augustine in the 5th century says about this particular passage, the man, the rich man, did not realize that the bellies of the poor would have been much safer storehouses than his barns, his growing barns. A schoolboy once asked what parts of speech are me and mine. And the teacher said, they are aggressive pronouns. The teacher was right. Aggressive pronouns. The rich man with the land and the bumper crop is aggressively self-centered. He talks to himself. He plans for himself. He congratulates himself. And what is the constant standard for discipleship according to Jesus? Not self. Sharing. Not me and mine, but many. Especially those who have the least. What's the measure of faithfulness according to Jesus? Not getting. Giving. Not having and hoarding. Helping others. Loving God, loving others. This is how Jesus wants us to be shaped. This is what we're about when we come into this place, seeking to be shaped in the ways of Jesus, changed, transformed. This is what Jesus says life should be about. This is normal life for Jesus. Generosity. Generosity. In fact, God says the rich man is a fool. You fool, he says. The man has been careful and he's been conservative in all of his plans. He didn't break any laws. Didn't treat any workers badly. Didn't commit any crime. Hasn't stolen from anyone. God says, you fool. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for those who store up treasures for themselves. They may be rich, but not rich in God. As is often the case, there's an interesting play on words in this passage. Listen to this. The Greek word 
for rejoice is euphreno. Euphreno. The word in this text for fool, you fool, is aphron. Fron, the Greek root of both euphreno, rejoice, and aphron, fool, is related to the word diaphragm. Diaphragm, that muscle that helps us breathe in and out. Here's the point. When you reach that place, that state where you can breathe in with a great sigh of relief and breathe out, expand your diaphragm, you have arrived. You have arrived, you have achieved a state of euphreno, wholesome joy, real wholesome joy. The man in the story thinks he's achieved a state of real wholesome joy. His barns are full. They're not only full. He has to build bigger ones. He has money. He has possessions. He thinks he's close to real joy, wholesome joy, euphreno. But God says, you fool. Aphron, which literally means the opposite of joy, a state of emptiness. He was a person with no diaphragm to expand. He was reduced to this sorry state because he had miscalculated that his joy would come for himself when he had stored up treasures and possessions for himself, wealth for himself. He doesn't have euphreno, sincere and deep joy. He is called a fool, Ephron, because while he may be rich, he is poor in God. See, to be rich in God, to have euphreno would be knowing full well where life comes from and what we are to do with all we've been given. Share it. Share it with generosity. Share it with love. Share it following Jesus, which leads to wholesome joy, euphreno. Then we have life. Then we have real life, God life. You heard the first lesson today in Galatians. Generosity is a fruit of the Spirit. When we seek to become all that God would have us be, we live with kindly action, kindness and generosity within our lives and especially related to our money and our possessions. Friends, the proof of the resurrection is not in the fact that the stone was rolled away. The essence of our faith is not in what we say in worship, is not in what we pray, is not in what we sing. The proof, the essence of faithful life is how we get carried away. Carried away in generosity. Carried away, giving our lives away for God's purposes. That's life. That's real life. Normal life, according to Jesus. Life with and for God. That's what it looks like. Carried away. In generosity. Can we all let God's Spirit seep deep into us and indeed fill us full? Can we not let God's Spirit change us and become the kind of generous, gracious people God calls us to be? This is what God wants us to be changing toward. This is what we might be called to be about as 
God's people at Second Presbyterian Church. This is what God calls us all to be about, generous servants following Jesus Christ. May it be so. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we open our lives, we open our souls to your spirit. We seek the way of Jesus, the way of generosity and joy. Show us that way. Amen.